0: more intentionally. Uh, Second quick uh, highlight for us this morning is yesterday Eastside Church, which is the church that we'll be sending, God willing, in a few months, um, had their first kind of formal core gathering. And they met for food and fellowships to hang out and and be united. I think around 25 adults and like 40 kids. So it's just, um, it's a really, really beautiful thing. And so, hey, if you were part of that Group, Would you just stand up real quick so we can see who you are, that core team? Don't be shy. We had a lot of them in the first service. Uh, But yeah, we want to encourage them. Here's the deal. Here's how this connects to vision. The Bible says, Jesus says in the Bible, that he was a sent one. Sent by the Father to come and seek and save the lost. And so as we are united to Christ and made into his image— he turns us into those that have a desire to be sent as well and to pour, our, pour ourselves out for new works of seeking and saving the lost all throughout neighbors and nations. And so on the, on the neighbor's side, I mean, it's happening. It's happened once with Redeemer City Church. Now it's happening again. And to see this core team established and sent out and formally united for the first time yesterday, that's a beautiful thing. So as you see these folks um, say thank you, how can I pray for you, how's it going, let's just be an encouragement for this. It's hard to, to send people out and we kind of like lose touch of each other with the with with lack of relational proximity. But man, our hearts are deeply united in what is going on in the city. And so it's something to celebrate. Something to celebrate. All right, so let's do that together. And um, man, let's have Hannah come now and read our text. We're going to be reading from uh, the book of Jude. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Jude, starting in verse 17. Jude is at the very end, right before the book of Revelation. Real short, one page probably in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can um, just Google search it on your smartphone. Uh, Jude verse 17. This is what the Holy Scripture says. This is God's word given for you. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for this word. Thanks for the fact that you give it as a gift. Lord, I pray that you would line our hearts to what you have here for us today and that we would be more and more recreated into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We know that's your will for us to embody the fruit of the spirit um, in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you were gone last week, let's just do a real quick review of what has led Jude to this point. Now Jude, just for background, he was a brother of Jesus, um, and he's writing to—he didn't believe during the time of Jesus' life, but he became converted after Jesus was risen from the dead, along with James, uh, another brother of Jesus. And he's writing to an ancient church that is experiencing some problems— And the problem is there's false teachers that have infiltrated the church and is teaching false doctrine, things that are just not true about Christianity, things that are not true about Jesus. And in addition to this false teaching, their living is also false. The the Bible says here in Jude, the word he uses is ungodly. And that's just a way of saying their lives were not in accordance with what God would have for us. For God's people. And so last week was kind of a heavy week. It was a word of judgment. And Jude is writing to the church and saying, Don't listen to those guys. They're false teachers. They don't know what they're talking about. They're going to lead you astray, and they will be judged by God. It's happened before all over the um, ancient Jewish history. And these people that he's writing to were Jewish people who had been converted to Christianity. And he's saying, you know your Jewish history. These guys get judged over and over again. You've seen that these guys get judged. You don't want to be around when that judgment goes down, he says to them. He says basically this. What I want you to do is contend for the truth. You'll see that if you have your Bible open. It won't be on the screen, but he just says in verse 3, uh, to, 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 he's, he's writing to contend for the faith, contend for the truth. So hold on to what you know is true. From James, from Peter, these first followers of Jesus, that want, that, but then led and discipled the church in the truth. Peter and John and James and Paul. Stick with those guys. That's true teaching. Don't go with this new stuff, this, this false teaching. So that was last week. This week, we're going to see Jude exhort this early church to just a few specific things. It's real specific, real practical, okay? For the sake of their health. For the sake of their health as a church. So last week was stop listening. Like plug your ears with these false teachers and reject what they're saying. But this week is start doing something. Last week was stop and reject. This week is accept and start doing something, okay? Okay. Now, before we jump into the start doing part that that Jude articulates here, he's got one more comment about these false teachers. Let's take a look. Verse 17. Verse 17 said this, But you must remember. Feel the emphasis there? He says there's there's an emphasis. You must remember. There's strength there. Right? He's not just kind of wavering here. He's got a word of emphasis. You must remember. Beloved. Beloved. I'm a good father. I love you, is what he's saying. I love you. So you got to remember this, and I love you. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, like John and James and Paul and Peter, these guys that wrote the New Testament, they said to you in the last time there's going to be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, So people that teach things that are false and live in a way that's false. And guess what happens? Verse 19 happens. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So what is he saying? He's saying, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. When these guys that teach false things come into the church. It was predicted. It was promised. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Okay? These people, they teach things that are false, and they live in a way that is false, ungodly, in verse 18. And all of this leads up to something, and it's in verse 19. Look at what it says in verse 19. It is these who cause divisions. Divisions. All this leads to the church being divided. And Jude is saying we can't be divided. All throughout the New Testament, you see the apostles of Jesus calling for unity, calling for unity. Don't be divided. Unite around Jesus. Unite around the truth. Unite around your love for for God and for one another. And false teaching always does the opposite. False teaching always stirs up disunity and division. And the first founders of the church, they hated this. Well, why do they hate this? Why do they hate this so much? It's important for us to think about that. It's a strong emphasis in the New Testament, but it's important for us to reflect. Why is that such a big deal? Why is Jude kind of hyper about this? Why does he want to coach them up to make them healthy? What's at stake? Well, it's not hard to figure out. If you want to destroy an organization, what's the fastest way to do it? You divide it. We have a catchphrase divide and conquer. If you want to conquer something, you divide them. If you want to power over an organization, you divide them. You want to tear an organization down, you divide them. And what do wolves do in the wild? If they're hunting and they want to consume, They divide the herd. Pick off the weak ones, right? If you want to destroy an organization, you divide it. See, there's strength in unity, weakness in division. Imagine this kind of, let's just do a a thought scenario. Practice reflecting on how this works in another realm that many of us can maybe relate to. We've all seen the movies Or if you've been in in, in military service, maybe you've actually been there. But imagine being in a war, being in a foxhole with a group of people. You got soldiers on your right and your left, and you got bullets whizzing over your head, bombs going off everywhere. It's the chaos of war surrounding you as you're in this foxhole with other soldiers with you. Now, how harrowing and unnerving would it be is if those soldiers that are with you in that foxhole— Really what you guys are all about is selfishness, arrogance, not really caring about each other, and everyone's just independently doing their own thing. Like that would be a horrible feeling, right? I got the chaos of war around me, and I got the chaos relationally here in this foxhole with me. Right? That's a horrible thing. This group of soldiers is basically dead before they ever get hit by a bullet. Right? See, division kills. Division kills, right? But, but if you've lived a life, let's say this, let's, let's turn that on its head. Let's say you've lived life with, with your fellow soldiers in that foxhole for maybe two years and you've learned to sacrifice for each other. You've learned to listen to each other. You've learned to really care about each other. And then when you're in that foxhole, you know it's still going to be scary, but how much better when there's unity, right? There's strength in numbers. Love, respect, care for each other. Well, Jude knows this. The Bible says that we're in a war. The church is in a war. And there's spiritual warfare happening all around us. There's bullets whizzing over our head. And the Bible says it's called our flesh, the influence of the world, and the devil. All these things are out to get us in this war. And so that's why verse 19 is here. Don't be divided. Don't listen to these false teachers that cause division. Don't do it. Don't do it. False teaching, it brings division. And we're in this foxhole together and we need each other. On our own, we're going to get killed. If you deviate from the herd, you're going to get picked off by the wolves. But if you stay together, there's strength in numbers. If we stay united with Jesus at the center of our unity, we will win this war through his spirit alive in us. So this is what Jude is saying. Don't be surprised. Don't freak out. This was predicted all along, but don't allow division. Verse 19, they they always cause division. We can't have division. Division kills. We have to stay united. So that's that's a final warning about these false teachers, okay? And Jude has unity on the mind. But let's look at what he says next in verse 20. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, In your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, so verse 20. Kind of a a corner-turning event in this letter. Before it was all about false teachers, talking about them, but now what does he say? He says, But you now, okay, the focus now turns to the church. Those who are holding or wanting to hold to the faith. But you, and then he says it again, beloved, I love you. I love you as as a good father in the faith. Jude, I'm I'm your father and I'm, I'm trying to shepherd you here as an apostle. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. All right, so he says two things there that he wants them to focus on, right? Two things, building and praying. Building and praying. Building and praying is going to accomplish something in the church. Let's take a look. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. What does that mean? To build ourselves up in the most holy faith. What does that mean? I think it means real practically just having a practice to speaking to each other. But not that our speaking is just random. Our speaking has the most holy faith in mind. Our speaking has our Christian convictions in mind. Our speaking has, man, I want to I have the words come out of my mouth that correspond to this book so that I can build you up. It's just another way of saying Ephesians 4.19. Do not, don't, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what? Building each other up. So that you can do what? Benefit those who listen. That's Ephesians 4.29. And Judah is just saying the same thing here. We got to build each other up for the sake of blessing one another, for the sake of speaking that which accords to the most holy faith. All right, so let's go back to the foxhole analogy. If you're in a literal war and your fellow, fellow soldiers never speak to each other words of truth to encourage, to to uh, help to build each other up, man, we're sunk, right? So if you're in a foxhole and, 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 what, and, and you know you have to say things like, watch out for that landmine. Or, man, keep your head down. They're shooting. Or, man, you got you to gotta put pressure on that wound, right? See, if those words don't come out of my mouth, if I'm unwilling to speak those words to build up my, my brothers and sisters in the foxhole with me, How can we have unity? How can we have endurance for the sake of the war? And the same is true of our life in the church. See, our words of building each other up are so important. That's why Jude wrote verse 20. He knows it's important. He knows there's a lot at stake. He knows that this early church is fragile and that they need each other and they could easily be shot down. So listen, you you don't have to be like the ultimate conversation starter. I know that's hard for some of you in the room. Some of you are great at that. Some of you aren't. There's diversity in the body. That's normal, right? But true faithful Christianity does imply talking. It doesn't imply isolation. It implies having an other-centeredness where when I run into you, I'm thinking more about you and less about myself. What does this person need before what do I need? Right? It probably does imply talking to others in a way that is beyond the surface. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about how this really happens practically, okay? I know a lot of you in this room quite well, and I know that for some of us that's just engaging in conversations like that is challenging. It doesn't come naturally to you. That feels Awkward to like think about, okay, how am I going to build this person up? I got words come out of my mouth to build this person up. I got nothing. I don't know what to say. It's maybe just easier sometimes to avoid. It's easier maybe to not talk. Just keep things on the surface. Hide behind the coffee cup, right? Some of you hear this verse and you agree with it and you're, you're excited about it. You just don't know how. It feels like a struggle. So let me try to equip you this morning. Let me try to equip you this morning, like super practically, okay? Let me just give you a super practical way to embody Jude's command here in a concrete way. I think this might help some of you. Maybe maybe just write down three super easy questions that you could memorize or just keep in your Bible so that, man, we take this verse seriously for the sake of our health as a church and we want to all collectively do that together. How are we going to do that? Well, if this is hard for you, three questions. You could walk up to somebody. Hey, how you doing? Man, the flooding in Madison has been crazy lately. Yeah, I know. Hey, um, I'm curious. Like, what have, you, uh, what have you been reading in your Bible lately? What have you been reading in your Bible lately? Super simple? Oh, you haven't been reading anything in your Bible? That's cool. Well, here's what I've been reading. Can I share it with you? Or, man, you don't really know where to go in your Bible? Well, that's cool. Man, I'd recommend just um, going to the book of Mark and just starting there. Oh, you've been reading the Psalms? What, 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 what's uh, been encouraging you in the Psalms? Something super simple. What have you been reading in your Bible lately? Uh, another one could simply be, oh, yeah, flooding mass, and it's been horrible. Oh, Packers playing today? Yeah, I guess they are. Uh, who do you think is going to win? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, can I ask you a question? Um, how can I pray for you? Is there anything just that you're struggling with? Can I pray for you? And then maybe just pray right then. Like instead of like always doing the deal, we're like, oh man, I'll I'll pray for you, and then we always all forget, right? But let's just pray right then. No one's gonna think that's weird. Everyone's gonna think that's awesome. That's what the Bible commends to us, right? Or maybe like you could just say, um, is there one thing that you feel like the Lord has been teaching you lately? Maybe it's connected to what you've been reading in your Bible. Maybe it's connected to something you've been praying about. What's God been teaching you lately? I mean, you can think of a hundred different questions. I mean, if it's helpful, just take my little script here. But, you know, if it's hard for us to really figure out how to be a community that builds each other up through what we say for the sake of being built up in, in, in the Bible, the most holy faith, as it's, as it's revealed to us in our Bible, just having a practical place to start, I find that helpful, right? right? So we're just not like staring at our toes in the lobby, you know, or after church, right? See, if our whole church was simply committed to asking questions as simple as this on a regular basis in our informal, relational places where we overlap in the lobby or after church or when we run into each other at Walmart or whatever, man, this verse would come alive in our community. We would build each other up to stay the course in our faith. That's what Jude is thinking about. He wants this early church that's got threats coming in, threats coming in. He's like, you guys got to stay the course. Here's how you're going to stay the course. Here's how you're going to be strong. Here's how you're going to be united. This is going to be on your mind. Man, I got to build, we got to build one another up. We got to build one another up in in the faith. It's not just going to be random. It's going to be in the faith. So what are you reading in your Bible? What can I pray for you about? What's God teaching you? All right. Some of you are going to run into this opportunity right after church. And maybe you can just think, okay, I know uh, this is always hard for me, but Zach gave me a a tactic, and I'm going to remember it. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to give it a try. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. See what happens. All right? All right. So Jude has division through false teaching on his mind. Having a commitment to building each other up is the opposite of division. You see that? Verse 20 is the opposite of division. That's what Jude is commending. All right, what else is he commending? He says, verse 20, we got to build each other up in the most holy faith. And secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So God's people are a praying people. From beginning to end, God's people are a praying people. We neglect prayer to our detriment, and we embrace prayer for the sake of our blessing. It's just a promise. There's no church health without church prayer. And this language, again, is intentional by Jude, where he says praying in the Spirit. Because if you look back at verse 19, you'll you'll see that these false teachers, he says, are, quote, devoid of the Spirit. See that in verse 19? They are devoid of the Spirit. That just means they're they're not believers. They they want you to think that they are, but they're not. Just look at the way they live. You'll know a tree bites fruit. There's, There's rampant ungodliness But you guys are praying, and you're praying in the Holy Spirit. You guys are true believers. You're filled with the Spirit. And those who are filled with the Spirit, in contrast to these false teachers that are threatening you, you're going to be guided by the Spirit into prayer. And what's that going to do? That's going to build up unity. Have you ever spent a lot of time praying with others? I can't think of a quicker way to build unity then, when the collective focus is crying out in, in, in the midst of your neediness to your Heavenly Father. When there's that collective union around, man, we're needy and we're insufficient, we got to go to our Heavenly Father and we do that together, man, that brings unity. There's a lot of other things that prayer does, but that's one of them that's so good for the church. So good for the church. And Jude knows that. And he wants that for the church in his day and for the church in our day. So as an application for us as a church, we try to structure prayer informally and informally. So formally, what do we do? In our city groups, we have a once a month prayer meeting. We break up with guys and girls and we get after it in prayer. And so that's why we want everybody that's a part of this church to be in a city group. Because we want to see verse 20 come alive. It's a context by which verse 20 comes alive in our community. For the sake of unity and strength, we're going to build each other up in our city groups. We're going to pray together in our city groups. That's one of the formal ways we do it. We do it on Sunday morning. Michael led us in prayer this morning. We're going to be praying some more this morning. We do it on Sunday morning. But, man, we should, we should see this elevated, I think, in an informal ways. And what I mean by that is this. When we get together and we're talking, a lot of times I think the normal outworking of our being together should just be spontaneous, informal prayer. Like you're coming to me, you're sharing a need, and I'm just saying, hey, man, can I pray for you? Like, how about right now? And we don't put it off. We just do it in the moment. Like that's our knee jerk. We're, we're just attuned to the fact that we need God as our heavenly fathers to help us because we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. We're forsaking self-sufficiency and we're clinging to God's sufficiency. And the way that we demonstrate that in our lives is through prayer. And so that's just our knee jerk in our relationships. I think that would be beautiful if you just saw little pockets of prayer all over the lobby, all over this room on a Sunday morning as we talk to each other. Oh, you got this problem? Well, let me pray for you right now. Oh, you're rejoicing for this? Well, let's pray a prayer of thanks to God right now. Oh, you need healing? Oh, let's pray, let's pray right now. That's going to that's be beautiful. The Holy Spirit, I think, wants us to lean and head in that direction. Because it brings unity. It brings health. It brings blessing to the church. And so let's keep rolling. What is the result of this building up and praying together? What's the result? What's the result? Well, Jude tells us the result. He says in verse 21, here's what's going to happen. Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, and then what's going to happen? Verse 21 is going to happen. You're going to keep yourselves in the love of God. It's another way of saying you're going to have endurance. You're going to have perseverance. You're going to remain faithful to your first love. You're going to keep yourselves in the love of God. You're going to have permanence in your faith. When we do these things, building up, praying together, habitually, regularly, with strong commitment, what happens? 21 happens. So here's the deal. We do have a role to play in maintaining our faith. Okay? There are things that we should be focused on that we need to take responsibility for to solidify Our faith, okay? Now, does that mean that you staying a Christian is all up to you? That it's all up to you and your effort? Nope. And there's another side to this coin, okay? Yes, you have to take responsibility. You are responsible. And God will hold you responsible. But look back at verse one is what's so beautiful about the Bible. It's not all up to us. Jude verse 1 Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called so there's an identity statement like a done deal you are called see it there you are beloved in God second identity statement so you are called you're beloved in the father and thirdly you are kept for Jesus Christ so it's like it's a done deal it's a factual statement it's an indicative It's an identity statement. You are kept for God. Now he says here in verse 21, you need to take responsibility for keeping yourself. And at the same time, God is keeping you. God is keeping you. God is holding the church together. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. They respond to me and no one can snatch them out of my hand. John chapter 10. See, God is sovereign and he will call those to himself who he wills and they will come and they will come with joy. They will not come kicking and screaming. They will come with joy. God's electing, predestining, wooing love will not fail. But we still have a responsibility to each other that Jude makes clear here in verse 21. Building up and praying together is usually the means that God has ordained that will happen by which God's sovereign work is done in the lives of his people. So we got things we got to take responsibility for. But be encouraged. As you're taking responsibility, God has sovereignly ordained that you would take responsibility. So you can go home and figure that out, all right? Um, But that's just what the Bible teaches. So you're responsible and God is sovereign, okay? And so if you have a desire to take responsibility, what that means is God is working in your heart sovereignly. And he ordained from the before time ever came about that you would desire to take responsibility, Because he's doing that work in you. He is keeping you, okay? So, the result of rejecting false teaching and building each other up intentionally and praying together intentionally is being kept strong as a faithful church. You see that? Let me say that again. This is just a summary of where we've been. The result of rejecting false teaching and building each other up intentionally and praying together intentionally has a result. What's the result? Being kept strong as a faithful church. But Jude calls them to one more thing. He calls them to one more thing. In closing, let's look at this. He calls them to waiting. This is interesting as an imperative. This is interesting as a command. I'm calling you to be people who wait. Wait. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. And another way you could say it is, as you are waiting, you are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So here's the question. What is it about waiting that's so good for the church that Jude is writing to? What is it about waiting That seems kind of like a peculiar thing you don't really think about very often. That's that's a real biblical part of our discipleship is being someone who waits on the Lord. And what Jude has in mind here is is the return of Jesus. The language of waiting often is in reference to the, the theological term is the eschaton. And that just means the end times. When Jesus will return, he promised he would return. And when he returns, he's going to make all things right. And so Jude already has judgment on the mind. We've seen that last week. These false teachers might not get judged immediately, but they will get judged. And for some of them, it might not be until Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, there will be a day uh, 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 of deep grief and a day of of great joy, depending on where you land with Jesus. And Jude has in mind that for false teachers, it will be a day of great grief where they will be judged and they will be apart from God forever in judgment. But there's coming a day for a different group of people, those that are waiting for mercy. Those that are waiting, that have trusted and treasured Jesus, not because of any good thing that they've done in and of themselves, but just as a gift of sheer mercy as they cast themselves on the mercy of God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I trust in Jesus to take my sin because he died for it and he rose from the dead. Those people receive mercy on that day. And those people receive eternal life on that day. And, and, and Jude is wanting the church to focus on Jesus and wait for him and not focus on these teachers. See, what he's saying is these teachers will get theirs, but when our hearts are locked into a a patient submission to waiting on the Lord, that's what waiting implies is is submitting, not flailing around and and being all crazy and anxious and trying to manage everything. Waiting that that honors God is, is a patient submission Even though it's hard, man, that's so hard to wait sometimes. Like sitting in the waiting room in the hospital, that's the worst. I've been there. You've been there. But you can't do anything. It doesn't help to flail around, right? It's hard though. But see, when we do that metaphorically with the Lord and we wait patiently with faith erupting out of our hearts. There's a kind of surrendered, submissive calm that is beautiful in the sight of God because it shows that we trust him and not ourselves. And that's what Jude wants for this church. This church that he's writing to first and this church that where we're looking at each other right now. So, so Vine family, we gotta be building each other up intentionally. We gotta be praying it up Intentionally. And and we gotta be a people that have our minds fixed on things above and not on earthly things. And what that means is we're waiting for that day, patiently waiting, patiently surrendered. We can't manage it all right now. One day Jesus will manage everything for us. But that day's not yet, and so we wait for it with faith, with hope, with expectancy. And that does something to our hearts in the right now that is so beautiful for the church to be surrendered. To be surrendered and submissive is such a beautiful thing. And he will one day return and make all things right. The resurrection is a sure promise of this. Make no mistake. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for the cross and the empty tomb that gives us reason to trust it. And so may you work in us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.